Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. End of intermission. Part two. Welcome back to the Take It Away. Now hear this tribute to Ryan Brady. Thanks for joining us once again after we flip the record over, so to speak. We're ready to bring you the rest of the music, memories, and more in this special salute to our friend Ryan. We're going to join back up now with the program here as you all continue to share your wonderful memories of Ryan with us. And without further ado, let's get on back to the show. Ryan has had a robust musical career, not only as a label executive, but as an artist in his own right under a few different monikers over the years. And Chris and I have gone through and cherry-picked a few of our favorite songs that Ryan has recorded, and we're going to talk about them a bit here. And Chris, we'll kick it to you first. We'll go at the top of your list. Now, you chose some interesting selections here. Yeah, some of these go way back. I have here the Real Lunch disc, Ghosts and Numbers. Ryan gave me a copy of this disc. And I got to know this album a little bit in the class we talked about earlier because he was working on some mixes for this album at the Ah, time. I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually did a 5.1 mix of one of these songs. I'm sorry to say I've forgotten which one, but as his final project, he did do a 5.1 mix of one of these songs. It came out pretty well, as I recall. Wow. Well, he gave me this disc and I fell in love with, I guess... His main contribution to the album, She Can't Dance, which is track three on, well, it's an EP, uh, track three on this EP, She Can't Dance. And we'll play a little bit of that here. I think the listeners will see a lot of influences. I have been here before at least a thousand times. Laboratory coats and coating match and mines. And after ties and plug a telephone. one really took me by surprise it's funny to hear his voice at this time in his life because by the time we get to the material that i sort of know him for his voice sounds very different his singing voice rather i was really impressed with his voice on this song and it's a really beautifully written song as well big chugging energy here almost plays with a bit of that thin lizzy fascination that he had you know (laughs) And it's such a tuneful little thing, you know? I found it so easy to sing along with and get stuck in my memory. It's so tuneful. He's got the little Todd Rundgren reference in there, something to fall back on, is Mm. the opening line of one of the verses, and that's a Todd Rundgren song we will return to. This was a favorite of Ryan's. And he told me, actually, maybe one of his band members will elaborate on this, but he told me the line there is, she can't dance until she's in control. Hmm. which is a very, like, Ryan anxiety kind of thing, actually. <laughs> and But he told me he was struggling with that line 
until she's in control and that one of his band members had suggested she can't dance but she can rock and roll I apologize for telling this story, but Ryan hated that line. (laughs) But he couldn't get it out of his head. And I have to admit, I've never been able to get it out of my head. I always listen to that song and part of me hears, but she can rock and roll. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great lines in that song too. I have the one I plucked out here. I'm out of my mind. Let the record show. It's just so funny. You know, it's just really, and that's one of the things about his music. There is a tonal change at a certain point in his body of work. But even at this point, the humor and the whimsy is there. And I think maybe it's some of that Ben Folds-y vibe, because as we know, he was a big Ben Folds fan. And Way there's that, Ben Folds. Yeah. yeah, there's that humor, there's that whimsy, there's that sarcasm as a part of Ben Folds stuff. So I was hearing a lot of that influence as well in these different tracks and this one too. And so tuneful. This is Real Lunch, which means that Max Perenchio is on this album. So Max oh. Perenchio is playing guitar, presumably, on She Can't Dance. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we should mention that while this episode is a tribute to Ryan, we also lost Max Perenchio on that day. And Max was a close friend of Ryan's for many, many, many years, as Max Phillips pointed out earlier, and as you mentioned just now. So we also want to make sure that we say that all of our Love and thoughts are with the family of Max Perenchio. He made some beautiful music as well, you know. <laughs> it's funny, the, the stuff they did with Real Lunch. One time Ryan and I were driving around and he told me the title, Real Lunch. <laughs> I told him I really liked it. He was convinced I was making fun of him. And I was, I really wasn't. I like, because it's, it sounds like a play on real love. So I was, I thought, I was like, oh, that's hilarious. And he's like, yeah, 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 shut the hell up, whatever, you know? So but... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, my next one was back to square zero. And now we're going back even further. I think this is high school Ryan Brady. Gotcha. Or maybe early college Ryan Brady. I'm sorry for not knowing the date, but it's, in any case, it's earlier than She Can't Dance. And it's a different band. And it's a little album they made together. And this was, I believe, the opening track of that. And it's so unapologetically nerdy, this song, Back to Square Zero. I think this is my favorite of the ones you sent over. Wow, isn't it something? guitar yeah that great wah-wah guitar and yeah absolutely what a song and this part of the song where it's a sort of like a bridge 
It's nerdy. G-U-T is what you are to me. That would be grand unified theory. <laughs> so it's from <laughs> physics. G-U-T is what you are to me. The telescopes are telling lies. The telescopes are telling lies. G-U-T is what you mean to me. Telescopes are telling lies. I probably was listening to these songs not long after I met Ryan, maybe the summer after I met him, so probably summer 07, I think that's Mm -hmm. right. And I just met this guy, but I like these songs so much that, you know, your tipsy picks at a given time you got a rotation and they're the ones where you know you have a couple drinks and you're like what do I want to hear yeah and I would go to these songs She Can't Dance and Back to Square Zero oh that's awesome I thought they were both so wonderful so yeah these were songs that I would get drunk and sing (laughs) for no reason other than I love them yeah (laughs) I'm gonna take Tipsy Picks I like that that's a nice (laughs) one and also a great band title too yeah that's right Tipsy Picks The opening of this song shocked me. There is such a confidence to these tracks. Real energy and real confidence. Yeah, they just exude energy and his voice. Again, I'm going to say that on a few of these. It took me by surprise, just the versatility of his voice. I didn't realize he had that voice in him in these because it's different. You know, it's very different. To me, his earlier style is a bit more tuneful, actually. Yes. And a bit more whimsical. I was trying to, always trying to talk him into bringing the whimsy back. And I guess he was doing that toward the end there with some of those stuff he was doing with Max. So my next pick is a song called The Knife. I think I liked this one a lot more than Ryan did. I was really hung up on this song. And so the version that I sent you is from 2008. But I also have a version from 2012. So he kept tinkering with this and trying to come up with new arrangements and new mixes. It obviously isn't quite the right production or anything. It's a demo. But I never felt that his subsequent versions, and I want to say there was at least one more subsequent version, I never thought they quite captured what's in this original demo which strikes me as a really special and amazingly catchy tune, The Knife, and a pretty dark one. (laughs) Yeah. The production you mentioned, the demo, it definitely gave me that late 70s Hog Hill 
<laughs> Mac in the bathroom <laughs> thing, you know, that kind of sound. But I liked it a lot. Another one with a lot of Ben Folds on it. I think yeah. he was very influenced, especially on this early material. You really don't hear it much in the later stuff. But in this stuff, it's prevalent. Not in a bad way, just in a nice sort of way. My favorite part of this one was the ending. I just love that ending. There's like clap break and stuff. It's mm-hmm. just really oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. So good. And the confidence is back on this, too. I mean, he clearly believed in this material, and he's, he's a damn good songwriter, I gotta say. So my next pick is called In My Hometown. And this is a very dark song. Yes. I don't want to bum anybody out with it too much. The subject matter of the song is largely about death. He's in his hometown, and he's remembering an experience where his friend's father had just died. So this is dated January 2nd, 2012. So that would mean he did this right after Christmas. So this probably was reflections on a Christmas visit to Illinois. Yeah. And I was listening to it in North Carolina. So I had gone home and he had sent me a bunch of new stuff. And this was among the songs. And I just, it became the soundtrack of that visit, really, for me, this yeah. song. It's really moving. I guess I'll play a good chunk of it here. I was burning a cigarette in the back of my best friend's car. He just lost his dad. But we pulled him through in my hometown. song came on the radio that we first made out to and it reminded me of you and it reminded me of you in my hometown in my hometown they're picking me up and pulling me back down
This is great stuff. 2012, Ryan Brady. Beautiful. For a guy that loves piano rock as much as Ryan, <laughs> he sure does some fun stuff with guitar riff runs. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. He's a remarkably good bass player too. Like I don't know. It's always funny. He for <laughs> now hear this. He the joke was he was always picking sad piano men, and I was always picking sassy guitar ladies. <laughs> but you know, even though he had a, maybe a predilection toward piano, he's a really good guitarist. You know, and this track also puts that right up front there. There's a lot of great fun guitar going on here. It's a gorgeous song. Great pick. Yeah, thank you. So two more picks here, and they're not really picks so much as I'm going to share them because they're sort of special to me because I worked on them with him, and they are ragged and messed up and incomplete. I'm not going to dwell on them long, but I did mention that Ryan and I were off to dreaming up projects pretty quickly after we met, and we did start writing some songs together and working on things. And we recorded two songs together, kind of. Neither of them quite got finished, but I like them both a lot, actually. And so I want to play a little bit of each of them, including the demos. So I'll just uh, introduce them. The first one is called Alice and She Goes. She was walking through the jungle in the middle of the night With a sticky situation and a pound of imitation I said, go see the doctor. She said that wouldn't make it right For all your dreams of glory, I care about your story With a flip of an lipstick, I didn't know that she'd go I never know, I never know, I never know, I never noticed the blue tarot Tell it so, Allison, she goes And in both of these songs, I'm kind of doing the John Lennon thing of saying, it's like, I'm going to change that part. You won't, you know, I'm I'm doing that. That's the best thing in there. He's like, Allison, she goes, it doesn't mean anything. I'm going to get rid of it. Like, are you kidding me? Allison, she goes, that's fucking amazing. You're not going to get rid of that. So we worked on that song a little bit and that was really very much his song. And he did a a pretty good vocal on it. He wasn't completely happy with the vocal. His falsetto is fun. I like it a lot. Well, he wasn't completely happy with it, and that's why the production on it kind of eventually shut down, but he just couldn't get completely satisfied with the vocal on it. But I think he had doubts about the lyrics, too. I encouraged him in the word salad, but he had doubts about the word salad, and that's something that changed in his later style, which was that the word salad went away. He didn't do that anymore. The biggest difference I found between his younger material, or even his material in a collaborative setting and outside of a collaborative setting, I think is the kind of emotion that is being conveyed in the lyric because in his younger stuff or in the collaborative stuff, there's still the joy and the whimsy and stuff, but there's also more of like a um, a purely emotional, almost like pathos going on. And he's, it's clear he's, he's taking some of it seriously. And, in his later stuff, which we'll get to, but in his later stuff, it's more like, eh, you know what? Be happy because you're going to die soon. And that's really like what hmm. most of his songs are about. They're hmm. like, hey, be happy because you're going to die soon. And so there's the, almost that fatalism 
or or that I don't know if I'm using fatalism right there. There's that resignation oh. of fate and finding the humor in it, you know, almost mm. Seinfeldian in that way. Or, or <laughs> that's pathos. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's a different kind of pathos, you know. Yeah, than it's the more no, purely... I get it. It's a yeah, it's a melancholy, bittersweet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just like, yeah, you know, fuck it. Have fun, you know. Stoic, too, I guess, in a way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, great. I like Allison. She goes a lot. So the last one is Power Out. And this is a fun little story. This was one of the times that Ryan came over and we wrote songs together. And he played me a bit of the following demo. I'm taking tickets and questions. Not pretty God. messed around with that demo a little bit I rather liked it and there were some things about the tune that I really liked so we messed around with it for a few hours and he went home and I stayed up and had a bit to drink and finished the song kind of rewrote the whole song I went anti-word salad I wrote kind of Mercer-like lyrics actually very focused <laughs> extended metaphor lyrics and made a demo at like 2 a.m. of it, of me singing it, and that's what this is. So now you just heard Ryan's demo, then we worked a bit, then I did some work till late in the night and made this. I'm taking tickets and queuing questions. Praying to God that you'll answer the phone. I'm learning circles and simulations. The walls are papered with gold or chrome you can take. Your time, you've already taken your reign. So far from home, better watch your step. Buffered about till I'm trying to reroute. We're crossing signals until we're knocking the power out. I'm sorry, all circuits busy. Your twisted heart beats a path to my phone Until I'm sorry, corrupted memory The floors are littered with gold or chrome You can take your pick You've already broken the lock So far from home, better watch your step Once I'd made that, we decided we wanted to record that so it was one of the two songs along with his friend Pat Frank on drums. So his friend Pat Frank played on Allison She Goes and Power Out. So we started making a recording of Power Out. I guess I'll play you two last versions of Power Out. And so there are two last versions. There's this one of Ryan trying to sing the song as I had rewritten it. And it just wasn't working out. You'll see what I mean when you listen to this rough tune.
So about a year later, according to the sound file dates, I went in and recorded my own vocal on it. And it's more accurate to the melody and everything, but my voice isn't right for it. So I'll play you the closest thing we have to a final version of this, which is not a final version, but it's me singing the melody, singing everything. So here's that. Your mind, and you can click the finder of lost souls and hidden folders. And so you can see that it's kind of coming together, but my voice isn't quite right for it. I sound a little too strident and, well, Mercer-like. <laughs> and so <laughs> you really need Ryan's voice, but singing exactly what I'm singing. So ideally, this would have maybe become, uh. a, the last thing you heard there would have been a guide vocal for Ryan to go back and sing the melody exactly the way we finally wrote it. And that just never happened. It was on our list it really was. We would talk about it. Huh. Once in a while, one of us would text the other like, hey man, I think I'm going to finish up Power Out. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that Keen McCartney listeners will have noticed in hearing all these versions of Power Out is that the main hook there is stolen from Waterspout. Ah. So it's the, it's the part where they were knocking each other out. <laughs> and again, I did a John Lennon here. I pointed out to Ryan, hey, you know, you stole almost that entire line there. He said, oh, we got to change it. I said, you won't, you know, it's, it's, it's the best thing in there. It's, it's your Maca reference for this song and we'll call oh, it man. power out. And I rewrote the lyrics as you could hear to be like this extended kind of electronics and computer metaphor. And so power out became the tune. And of course, power cut. So I was yes. digging the Maca references yes. embedded in this. Anyway, that's my spiel about all my favorite Ryan songs, but especially uh, the two that we, we worked on there. You two working together is wonderful to hear. It's a different vibe, you know, and I think it's got the best of both of you in there. And you bring out the best in both of you when you're working together like that. I almost, it's funny you mentioned a power cut because I was thinking power cut when I saw power out too, but mm -hmm. I actually equated it to a love for you. I felt it had a love for you quality to it. It almost. does. It does actually. Yeah. Yeah. Also in the voice, it was, I think what you referred to as an inside voice or something, not singing out, but it's, I mean, I quite liked it actually, but um yeah. Anyway, those are some great selections. I had heard none of that. So this was really, really fun. Well, I thought maybe something I could bring to this was some knowledge of Ryan's earlier stuff, since I have this, I have a hard drive full of stuff. It's remarkable. Yeah. All the stuff that he did, you know, it really adds up. He would send me snippets and things and, and you know, as he was working things out over text and I just haven't gone in and fished them all out yet. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of those things where 
I just haven't been able to do that yet. But I am looking forward to going in there and finding it because he'd always send me these things. He's like, yeah, I think I'm just going to take this McCartney song and change it a little bit and make a new thing. I'm like, great. <laughs> Sounds awesome. <laughs> and then there's the year he spent learning Boogie Woogie Piano. And so I just have all of this, you know, do 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 on my phone and stuff. I was enjoying talking to him as he learned piano. Yeah. That was fun. I mean, he already knew piano, but he was trying to add some discipline and learn some new tricks. And it was fun because I'm always trying to learn some new tricks on the piano too. So we were trading tips, you know, like golf tips. Right. right. <laughs> Do this thing with your left hand. Have you ever tried that? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That totally changes yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> or like Paul and John going across town to learn a B7 or whatever. Um, <laughs> so as far as Ryan's music goes for me, I become familiar with his stuff in the abject joy area, sort of the later portion of his work in the 20 teens I'll just start with my favorite of all of his songs is It's Good to Have You Back. Yeah. just such a fun and wistful celebration of a song. It's catchy as hell, man. When I heard this for the first time, and especially going back and listening to it a lot these last few days, I found myself humming the damn thing over and over again. I really have an affection for this song. That's a wonderful record, too. Abject Joy is a great sounding EP all around. Yes. Like, everything sounds really pro and really muscular, if that's the word. Like, yes. it's, it's got a real chunky, punchy sound. Really nice. Yeah. Before I move on to my next song here, I will say that we have a special treat. Yeah. A sort of special surprise as it pertains to this song at the end of the episode. Foreshadowing there. (laughs) So we'll move on to the next track I wanted to spotlight from Abject Joy, which is And We're Back. Mm -hmm. No worries, no fear, the conditions are clear. If you can't, we can have a beer. which is one that Ryan recorded with Ross Fetterman. And I'm not sure who else plays on it, actually. It may just be him and Ross. Mm -hmm. There is a wonderful video that Ross uploaded of those two doing a drum and bass take on the song. I love this song. It's really chuggy. It's also got that Thin Lizzy thing happening in there a bit. (laughs) And it's just funny. The chorus is, baby, I know when we're back. And we're back. You know, it's like, or our brother, I know when we're back and we're back. You know, it's it's such a clean example of that unabashed whimsy, that Ryan humor. In addition to playing the track from Abject Joy, I also have a demo that all I can give you is date modified 33110. So oh, this cool. is a 2010 demo of And We're Back and it's titled And We're Back V2. So who knows, but it's the only end we're back I have, V2. So we'll cue it up alongside the record. Awesome. 
so that leads me to my last Abject Joy tune, which is Made My Bed, another yeah. very funny song. One of my favorites on there. When you You were 14, you were 42. It's just very funny and cool. I mean, honestly, I I don't have much to say about these because I love all these Abject Joy songs. There's not that many. You know, I really encourage everyone to go on. I mean, they're up on YouTube. They're on Spotify, the Apple Music Store, iTunes, Spotify. Just go and check them out. There's only a handful. and It's uh, seven tracks EP. Yeah, they were released as singles. So on the iTunes Store, there's like a handful of singles there and you pick them up. They're bittersweet in a way, because some of the tracks are, I think there's a song literally called You're Gonna Die. Mm-hmm. There is, yeah. They deal with death. You know, not to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like, these songs, a lot of them deal directly with death. And in that song, You're Gonna Die, it's about how it's like, yeah, this is all temporary. It's very Harrison-esque in that way, you know, this mm. material world. It's not gonna last. So why are you taking it so seriously? Just enjoy it. Just get in there, you know. And have fun. And I think there's a line in that song, You're Gonna Die. It's like, I don't want to see your Facebook. I just want to see your face. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, really? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. But before we leave the Abject Joy selections, I wanted to introduce another special guest to the episode, Mr. Ross Fetterman. Ross is a writer, a producer, a musician, and a friend of Ryan's. And he actually worked with Ryan on a couple of the tracks I mentioned here in this segment specifically And We're Back, on both the early version and a re-recording. Ross was out in L.A. around 2016 or 2017 and contributed drums to the revamped version of And We're Back, Dictated Not Yet Read, and the song You Are Gonna Die. And he was kind enough to send along a message for inclusion in this episode. So I'm going to throw it to Ross here, and then we'll be back for my next selections from Ryan's music right after Ross. Take it away, Ross. Today melts away. I don't care who you are, I do what I say. I'll just start by way of introduction. My name is Ross Fetterman. I play drums in the band Tally Hall, which is how I originally met Ryan. In fact, we were introduced to one another through a friend I went to undergrad with, Pat Frank, who you may have heard from already on this podcast or likely will hear from. And Pat knew Ryan really well from high school growing up, and he had known me really well from Drumline. And right when we had signed to Atlantic Records and were moving to New York, he mentioned right away, hey, I have a really good friend who's been in New York not long, and he's been working at Atlantic Records not long, but you guys got to get in touch. And at first, it was just meeting up for a beer here or there, chatting about music or going to see a show or a concert or someone Ryan was maybe working with at the label. But this just happened more and more. I think we really hit it off as friends. We really enjoyed meeting up um, and hanging out and eventually the talk of music went to really beginning to collaborate on music he would start sending me demos and, and sharing some of the music he was working on and I loved them I mean they were 
there was just clear i mean they were a little zany at times and <laughs> crazy but there was brilliant songwriting in in all of them somewhere like really a like a you know ryan had this encyclopedic knowledge of pop music from almost every era and every generation and it showed in his writing i mean he somehow funneled a lot of the things that i loved about music into how he would write and and so we began working on demo he would he would send me demos and i would put some demo drums on them and send them back and I really wanted to be a music producer at the time, and and so it was uh, it was great that he was willing to just let me go to town uh, and put some of the weirdest sounding drum tracks and mixes and things on his uh, on some of his music. Eventually, we we ended up uh, sharing an apartment together. Both our leases were done, and we had we'd been working on music and thought, wouldn't this be fun? And you know, if we if we have you know if we're roommates, we can just casually put stuff together all the time. And it's exactly what happened. He he had just gotten this Moog Voyager, and uh, at that that's kind of when I really began to realize what a genius he was with synthesizers and and really knowing what what goes into crafting these sounds. He would sit there for hours just playing with the, all the knobs, various waveforms and everything to really craft the sound. And one time we worked on a remix for a friend of mine and he nailed this like fuzzy synth bass sound. We were, we were listening to a lot of LCD sound system at the time and he sort of nailed that dance yourself clean like fuzzy synth bass. And I will never forget our shared moment of just pure glee and excitement when he really dialed that in and we just were dancing around the room to it for a while. And then he ended up also putting on this amazing arpeggiating keyboard thing, which is to this day one of the favorite sounds of mine that I've ever been a part of. Um, he had me tap the tempo in so that it wasn't a perfect arpeggio and rhythm and the notes flammed here and there and, and it was great to hear something that you normally hear just as such mathematical perfection so, such as a you know programmed arpeggio but in this this brilliant sort of fragile state. In fact I went on to co-produce and, and mix a record and work on it with a few friends of mine that became a bit of a cult classic called Hawaii Part 2 and I was really happy to have Ryan contribute to that too. He played bass on a couple songs and they synth on a couple songs, and actually there were places where we had performed a MIDI bass part, and I knew that Ryan could get a better tone. And the amazing thing about Ryan was that he had no qualms about not being the one playing the part. You know, he uh, was so happy to just help craft the tone of the of the sound. I guess there's so much more I could say about Ryan and music, but I just have to say Ryan really was a phenomenal person, a true friend, and a really just great human being all around. He was charismatic. He quickly became friends with nearly everybody in my friend group. I mean, pretty much everybody that he met around me, they just saw him and said, I, I you know, I've got to have this person in my life. And one story I'm reminded of right off the bat is when a very large group of friends of ours, uh, him included, um, all went to one of the last Mets games at Shea Stadium. And I really enjoyed the fact that, you know, I had Ryan, I, I had got to know, obviously, was a huge Beatles fan. And, you know, we were secretly going to Shea Stadium just to go to Shea Stadium. Um, well, most of the rest of our group was going for a baseball game. But for us, it was sitting there and just thinking, man, what would it have been like to see the Beatles here when they when they played? And I just enjoyed having um, someone to, to really share that experience with. In fact, he was a great person to share so many experiences with. 
whether it was just a weekend brunch or one of the many times we DJ together. In fact, on a couple of occasions, we decided to stick to just 45s and reel-to-reel tapes. And Ryan had this amazing collection of 45s, and I had been working on collecting reel-to-reel tapes wherever I could find them. And we just decided it'd be really fun to stick with, like, you know, this sort of 60s, 70s era and just go with that and stick to the analog and... I was just happy Ryan was as invested in it as me because these four-track tape players are, are not the lightest things in the world to drag in and out of cabs or you know, in New York coming into the bars and having to take them home with you at the end of the night. You know, I think beyond any real specific memory with Ryan, um, what I appreciated most is all of the sort of monotony, you know, the standard, just the the passing conversations that you have with somebody you share an apartment with, somebody that you really... you're more or less sharing your life with for that time. We are both in our early to mid-20s. These are years when, you know, I think you go through a lot. um, And I think we really went through a lot together. And I know that my life is infinitely better because I went through so much of that with Ryan at my side. He was really a a mentor in many ways um, and just such a close and loyal friend. I, I knew I could count on for anything and I knew I could could really count on to say it like it is. And I know that I wasn't alone. This was what I heard from so many people that reached out shortly after Thanksgiving. His death was truly a tragedy in every sense of the word, but his life was far from it. My memory of Ryan at almost all times is really the most optimistic person in the room. The the person who sees the the path of least resistance for everybody around him, the person who at work in his personal life and and what I could only assume in his family life as well was, was just, you know, there to, to make everyone happy. And, and, and and I don't think it ever came at the cost of his happiness. And, And that was the most beautiful thing. It's like he, you know, he managed to navigate every day just to make it as enjoyable as possible for everybody involved. It sounds like professionally he did that with music. You know, we didn't actually get to work with him all that directly while my band was signed to Atlantic, but I I could see that in, you know, in the ways that he did work with his other artists and and then how that continued. And and I really only got a sense of this from time to time, but because we we got to stay in touch, and I'm really happy that we were, you know, still fairly close over the last decade or so since since I moved from New York, and then he left shortly thereafter. We did stay close ever since, and we even got to collaborate on some music together a few years ago. And as of only several months ago, we had talked about getting together at some point to work on more. And um, you know, I'm just grateful for all the memories that I have, and I'm grateful for the time that I got to know him and for the incredibly positive impact that he's had on my life and that I will, you know, with some part of him have on other people's lives because I'll, you know, there's so much of him that I'll always carry with me. I just really wanted to say thanks to Chris and Paul for putting this together. I think it's really important and I'm I'm very glad that it's, that this is here and yeah, just thanks a lot guys. Those are my abject joy selections. And then I sort of clumped the entire album that Ryan and Max Perenchio put out this past summer called Ballad of Uncle Salsa and the Pelican Boy. 
Yes. And that was uh, Ryan and Max. That was their persona name for quite a while. In fact, when Ryan talked about Max, it was often to differentiate him from Max Phillips, he would call Max Perenchio Pelican Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's how I knew him, you know. When, in fact, we recorded an episode of Now Hear This with Max Perenchio, the uh, Kanye West episode, and I was like, "Oh, you're the you're the Pelican Man." And he's like, "You know, it's weird that you're calling me that, but okay." Um, so I found this online. I just wanted to read it for everybody. So Alt77.com reviewed the album, and I thought it was actually really, really great. So. I normally don't read these things, but it's short, so I'm just going to read it. Rock artists, even the greatest ones, are notoriously bad about properly assessing their work. That's not to say that they underrate their greatest songs. After all, the ones who've survived to have a long and fruitful career are, generally, egomaniacs, blessed with good lungs, strong liver, and a big head. No, rock musicians tend to believe they are something that cannot be fitted inside the limited restraints of a genre definition. Uncle Salsa and the Pelican Boy are not such a group. They know exactly <laughs> what they are doing. And if the project's moniker was not an indication, they do not take themselves too seriously. Neither are they afraid of embarrassing themselves. The duo describes the lounge psychedelic sounds of the single It's All Over Now as the Beatles favoring Margaritaville instead of India. I thought that was really, <laughs> really funny. It's a great line and a brilliant description. In other words, here is a group possessing all the musical abilities to recreate heavenly sounds and little of the ambition to change the world around them. It's All Over Now is grandiose, pretty, and silly. It's a symphony composed at a hotel bar written on lipstick-stained napkins. And if that isn't just the wonderful little summation of that album, I don't know what is. I'm just now getting to know this album. I haven't had a lot of time to live with it. I've had yeah. 12 years to live with some of Ryan's stuff. I've only had, uh, as you say, about a year with this one. But it strikes me as more serious than it seems on first blush. Yeah. I mean, songs like It's All Over Now. And even, I don't know, I mean, Yacht Club is, is, a, is yeah. a silly thing. But there's a seriousness to it, actually. <laughs> There's yeah. something like kind of slick about it, like genuinely slick about it. Yeah. It's one that I was impressed with at the time, but I'm listening to it with different ears these days. Yeah. And yeah, I, I know what you mean. You know, there's actually the undercurrent of substance abuse in there. Like they're playing mm -hmm. with characters who are kind of miserable fucks. Yes. Right. And the, and the music is smart. They're reveling in it and it's very clear that they know what they're doing. There's mm -hmm. that song... Uh, it's always somebody's birthday is the song. And that gives us some of that nihilism side of Ryan and his personality, because it's a great and funny portrait of an abstraction of a down and out individual, which is punctuated with the supposed to be happy, but isn't chorus. It's always somebody's birthday. This is funny to yeah. me because the character in the song is using birthday parties as an excuse to get rip roaring drunk. And that's 
what he's enjoying about it. So it's like when he's singing, it's always somebody's birthday. It's not to celebrate the birthday boy or girl or whatever. It's to celebrate the fact that he has an excuse to go get blacked out somewhere. Here we go again. Another episode of Cologne. This cigarette behind my ear. God damn it, when did it get lit? Haven't seen my kids in so long, forgotten all of their faces. So you better believe I've forgotten their fucking names. The juxtaposition of that traditional happy birthday with this fucked up character is really, really funny to me. But like you said, a little dark. Yeah, for sure. I would encourage everyone, if you're going to listen to any song in this album, and I, w- I would encourage you to listen to it. It's not terribly long. It's you know about a half hour listen. But check out Blue, Wet, and Round, because Ryan singing, I was remarking about how much I enjoyed his younger singing voice. But when you listen to this one at the end, he's really belting some big Macca hollers, you know, and he's doing a great job. And it's a catchy Beatlesy chorus and just really, really well done. Epic too. Like how many, how long is this track? Seven minutes? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't feel that either. It really does. <laughs> You're in that world, you know? Yeah, no, he does really do some belting at the end, some throat shredding. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not like a parrot head or anything, you know? And I'm listening to this right now and it, I'm hearing a lot of 10cc. Mm. Like I'm hearing a lot of sophistication in this, you know? He and Max both very musically proficient. Like the review said, there may be that air of fuck it about it you know that air of we don't care and whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) but underneath you know it's clear that they can really back up that with some chops yes anyway those are my song contributions before we leave this segment though i did want to talk about chris your new album antihistamine oh yeah thanks for mentioning it yeah which is wonderful by the way and terrifying also in places Uh, a little bit a little bit (laughs) <laughs> gave me some uh, hypermisophonia when I was out on my run today. I was like, ah. um, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it no, it's happen. cool. It's cool. It's terrifying. <laughs> this one features some Ryan contributions on yes. it too. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how the record came together and how those contributions happened. Yeah, Ryan always made a contribution because I was always sending him my stuff, just as I have this hard drive full of Ryan Brady songs. He had plenty of rough mixes and demos from me. So he was always like consulting with me about what I was doing and whether it worked and what it was like to hear. With an album like this, especially, pretty hard to know how people are going to hear it. And his contributions on this, he 
basically, the most interesting contribution is, remember Allison, she goes from a little while ago? Yes. Yeah. So I actually took those drums with Ryan's permission. And so I took Pat Frank's drums with Ryan's permission and <laughs> re-edited them. I actually time-stretched them. I think I made them slower. And I made an evil march out of it. And I took maybe the first half of the song and re-edited and shuffled things around. And so Alice and She Goes, the drum line of it and the structure of it <laughs> kind of became my evil fascist exercise routine in the song <laughs> Two Minutes Pump. Two Minutes Pump is a reference to Two Minutes Hate from 1984. That's a great track, by the way. I love that. Yeah, thank you. The other contribution is that there's a track on there called The Congregants. That's yes. track three. I made a note of that. His voice <laughs> comes through quite clearly on this one. You can hear it, yeah. Yeah. Mysterious holsters. The mustache suits you, it does. Call Seven Stevens, deemed rectified. No more oblivious, really, than baby cakes. Accessory to noncompliance. Booster shot. A ribbon on a forklift. Booster shot. So I had a, a group of people. It was me and my friend Ben Hurtman and my friend Chris Fisher Lockhead and Ryan. And I sent them all the text with me reading it with the right emphasis. And they were to do it, you know, loosely in a few different voices, but keep the emphasis from what I was doing. Yeah. And so there's probably about 20 of us there total. And yeah, five of those or so are Ryan. Yeah. You know, you play with a lot of Brian Wilson-y kind of sound pictures, but there's also that smile era kind of stuff with the Van Dyke Parks poetry that I just really <laughs> dig on, particularly lately. It's a really interesting listen all the way through because you play with, you know, I was talking about juxtaposition a moment ago. You really do play with sometimes pairing harsh sounds immediately following it with a beautifully little melodic breezy number like i think of save a little canister and that's my favorite track on the record and i can't decide if it's my favorite track because i like the song best or if it's like it lets you off the hook after <laughs> what came before it you know you're squeezing so much emotion out of that and i wound up feeling almost like revolution 90 about it in a way i really i thought it was very enjoyable a really beautiful piece of artwork Thank you so much. Wow, it's really great for you to say that. A lot of fun. I'm glad that's out. And Ryan always played a role in my work. I guess the takeaway is that, yeah, Ryan and I have had a musical connection for a long time and always shared each other's work and encouraged each other. So it was a big part, you know, not something you've heard on Take It Away or anything, but in the background, you could tell from listening to us that we were songwriters and maybe had additional collaboration under our belt, and that's what it is. We have, in fact, contributed to each other's work for a long time. Well, listeners to both of the shows would have heard Ryan's music anyway because Ryan did the theme songs for both Take It Away and Now Hear This. He that's right. He does a wonderful little synthesizer-y Martha My Dear for Take It Away, and he wrote an original composition for yeah. Now Hear This, and I remember I was in a 
Dallas hotel room. I was off at some convention and I remember getting the file over my phone and the text read from him, this is either the best or worst thing I've ever created. Because <laughs> he didn't tell me he was doing it. He just sent it. He just did it and sent it. It was just really funny to me. But I loved it. I thought the theme song was great. it once more to some friends, family, listeners of Ryan to contribute some more special memories, and then we'll head on over to our last segment. Hi, my name is, uh, my name is James. Uh, I'm originally from the UK, but I, I now live in Boston, uh, and I work as a, as a French teacher at a high school. I've been listening to the Take It Away podcast for about a year now. I actually discovered it right at the beginning of COVID. Since I moved to the US about a year ago, it's actually been a very difficult year for me because I, I got to the country and then COVID hit and then I haven't been able to get back and see my family. It's been quite isolating. And so actually listening to the Take It Away podcast became a real source of comfort. I used to go on, well, I still do. I go on lots of long walks and I put the podcast in. I've also been a Paul and Beatles fan since I was 10 years old. And I thought myself a bit of an expert until I discovered the podcast and realized how much I was missing, uh, how much extra information I needed. And it's led to me listening to so many albums uh, I had never listened to, discovering songs and albums I didn't know existed. I think probably my favorite episode of the, of the podcast was uh, the Return to Pepperland episode, and that really, really got me hooked because there was so much unknown stuff I had never heard of, and I found it really exciting. When I learned of Ryan's passing, um, it really, it really hit me, and um, I'm, I would like to send out my respects uh, to his family and friends. Whilst, of course, I never had the opportunity to meet him, he'd become almost like a friend, a friendly voice in my ear as I was going on my walks, and so I was really very upset and, um, by news of his passing. Uh, I'd like to thank Chris and Paul for doing um, this tribute episode. I've done some research myself on Ryan, more research on Ryan recently, and discovered um, what a rounded person he was, how many different interests he had, and how, how, how talented he was. That's basically it for me. I still, as I say, listen to the t Takeaway episodes a lot, and I've started listening to Now Hear This. I listened to the Smile episode, which I really enjoyed. As I say, real source of comfort, so thank you very much. First, I have to start off by saying I literally take pride in being able to say Brady and I were close friends. Like, it's a privilege to have known him and to be inspired by him because Brady's inspiration is something that will forever push you into greatness. Out of all the artists and the co-workers I've worked with throughout the music industry, Brady was one of the few that I considered my real friend. He was someone that genuinely cared about the happiness of people. He was literally my walking journal that I poured all my ideas, my doubts, my accomplishments, my hopes, and so much more into. Now, the good thing about Brady being my walking journal was that not only did he listen and soak it in, but he always gave me the best advice. I remember when I first met Brady, he gave me a book called The Artist's Way. And inside of the book, he wrote, enjoy the ride. This book will change your life crazy thing is the book did just that like it opened my eyes and somehow made me feel unstoppable now once Brady and I both have the unstoppable power 
We then had to remind each other to think rationally. <laughs> like we took that power and we seriously just knew without a shadow of a doubt that we could do whatever we put our minds to. And that's what we did. I remember Brady once telling me leap and the net will appear. Well, two days later I was leaping because I quit my job. The net appeared and I was the happiest I could have been at the time. We always gave each other the advice of who cares what it looks like? Who cares if it's crazy? Do what makes you the happiest. And although I so wished so much that Brady was still here, it makes me so happy to know that when I last saw him, I can honestly say Brady was his happiest. I last saw Brady in October. He called me last minute to see if I could get him a lowrider for a music video that he was working on. Now, if it was anybody else, I would have automatically said no. It's last minute and it's COVID. But luckily for Brady, he was Brady. So, of course, the answer was yes. Next day, I met him in East L.A. with a 64 Chevy Impala on switches. While everyone else was so hyped up about the car... Brady and I was just hyped up to see each other in person because we hadn't seen each other since we'd all been quarantining because of COVID. So he filled me in on the new label he started at Atlantic. He filled me in on his success with Coldplay, his new independent company he started. But the most exciting thing was him filling me in on his new album that he was about to drop. To say we were proud of each other, yeah, that's an understatement. Although we worked in the music industry, we're both artists ourselves. So to finally do for ourselves what we did for others is definitely a celebratory moment. So although Brady isn't physically on this earth anymore, he's definitely someone that I'm going to celebrate and appreciate forever. Every day, I'm still inspired by Brady. And I'll forever find comfort in knowing that he did everything that he wanted to do within the time that he had. And if there's one thing that I know for sure Brady would want us to do, it would be for us to do the same. He would definitely want us to do everything we want to do within the time that we have. Now is the time. I want to talk about my memories of Ryan. If it wasn't for Ryan and Chris, I would have never learned as much as I did about Paul McCartney and developed this brand new appreciation that I have and going into all those disc twos on the archive editions of his albums. And uh, one of my favorite memories is Chris and Ryan laughing when they were reviewing Big Barn Bed off of Red Rose Speedway with sleeping on a pillow, weeping willow, and just the way they were laughing. It was just, it makes me laugh every time I listen to it. And then also when they were talking about um, the excesses and the way Paul would record songs in a castle and they would say, ah, to be a millionaire rock star. Always thinking about that. And uh, can't thank you guys enough. Peace. Hello, my name is Nick Harvey, and when thinking about my favorite memories of Ryan, it's a bit difficult because it felt like we were on the precipice of having some really great moments together. 
And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way who are listening right now. But I say that because we had known each other for years, but in the last year and a half, two years, we started talking a lot more. We were we worked together at Atlantic Records, and we were having fun on these projects that we were working on together. We were just running and gunning, coming up with ideas, figuring out how to execute them. And what was always so impressive about Ryan is that he brought this awesome energy to all the work you know, and all, all the interactions and the meetings that can be so draining, especially on Zoom and ones where you're having a meeting that you're like, do I really do we need to be having this? And but he'd show up and, and he'd talk to you like a person. He talked to everyone on the call like a person, not like what what do they have to, you know, give or like what what is the thing that i need from them like a lot of times in, in thinking business interactions it can be boiled down to that like this person represents what they mean to me or what they need but ryan never did any of that he always talked to people like they were a human being and how sad is it that that is a rare thing and it is and and ryan always always kept that he always he always talked to people like they're real and it's it's something that's come to light, especially talking at Atlantic Records. So many people that I wouldn't even expected had these types of interactions with Ryan. He went out of his way to really foster great relationships with people all over the company, you know, from executives to assist interns and assistants. Like he treated everyone with respect and and treated them like they should be treated like a person we should all be treating each other and it's that energy and that spirit that i remember most about my friend ryan brady um and personally he he did a lot the same too he'd always pick up your phone call he'd always be there to listen to whatever music recommendation and we were even starting to bat around some creative projects together and share songs and it was so fun he to hear what he was working on he was so encouraging and like really gave a critical listen to whatever i was doing i thought about starting a podcast i was like i don't know it's gonna be about adventure time like it's just stupid he's like no just do it man he's like that's a great idea it's got a niche audience it's gonna be great and he he was he pushed me and i i think you could you could feel it inside of himself that that a positive forward propelling motion that this guy had he took you know he kept telling me at the end now is the time nick like now's the time and it was it was a mantra for him it became a mantra for me it still is when i'm thinking about projects when i'm thinking about my life thinking about the things that i want to do he he luckily had that outlook and it's one that i gotta take with that now do it now like just go like no preparing like let's let's start living the lives we want to live and you know that's a great energy that he brought it and you know imbued on me and it's great energy and love that he brought to all sorts of interactions and that's the kind of energy that i hope to bring to my interactions and if you knew ryan and i'm sure you did if you're listening to this like you know what I'm talking about, and I know you feel it too. And uh, I love you guys. Love you, Ryan, and uh, miss you, buddy. But I want to thank Paul and Chris for putting this together because Ryan Brady really was an exceptional podcaster. 
I mean, he was a genuine man, and I felt like that he was including everyone in the conversation, including myself when listening to his episodes. His opinions were intelligent and heartfelt and really a fun listen. And I'll always appreciate Chris and Ryan finally turning me on to the Press to Play album. An enjoyable man, prayers to his wife and family, and thanks again. Ryan Brady when he was in second grade. In 1993 or 94, he and my son Max Phillips were in the same second grade classroom. I went into that classroom to do a craft for the holidays, and when I had the experience of a nice exchange with Ryan, I realized that he and Max had so many qualities that were similar. So I decided that these two boys should be friends. So over time, Susan, Ryan's mom and I, we made sure that these boys could get together and just explore music and movies and, um, humor and research long before the internet so they just it was it was so fun to watch them be together and do things together and they would have these long discussions about things that I didn't understand but they certainly did and it was just such a gift to see these young boys getting together and talking about things of the world and of the music world and entertainment. And their friendship lasted long beyond. So uh, Ryan was truly a gift to our family in a way that most of you who know him, knew him. He was a force of nature and loving and giving and lifting others up. But watching uh, him with my son and how he interacted with my family was just a wonderful gift to all of us. So so thank you, Susan and Terry, for making such a beautiful young man. Brett and Tyler, your brother, is just fabulous. And Annabelle, I'm so sorry that um, so young and a new marriage, and I just, uh, my heart goes out to you. I've never met you, but Um, I wish all of you and all the extended friends and family, I just wish you all peace in your hearts. And I'm so thankful that I got to know Ryan Brady and just to see what a light he, he will remain for all of us. So peace and love and health to all of you. Thank you. First of all, 
thank you for putting this together. I think it's an incredibly honorable effort and uh, humbling to make an offering for a soul that had the ability to open others up to the positive potential of our lives and the things that are right in front of us. My story, I always say I'm not a great storyteller. My story will lack an impact in some ways, but it goes like this. It was a winter evening. We were between locations. We were either at a dinner or a show, and we were going somewhere else, either to another dinner or a show or somebody's house or to try to make music. And we had crossed uh, St. Mark's, and we were passing Carl Fisher Hall. Ryan and I came upon a spirited verse and a chorus and a verse as we sang this song walking down a very quiet New York City street. Some of the lyrics were pretty revealing on, you know, levels of where our heads are at, vulnerability. Carl Fisher, I'm a mess. You know, Carl Fisher, I confess. He had the ability as a creative to help create an open environment for ideas and thought in a fluid, maybe more than open, you know, a fluid environment, a fertile environment where you can put something out there and it'll be interpreted and spit back. A natural or seemingly natural ability to do that is about as fine of a trait as a human can offer. If you um, consider the value of these experiences and how we're affected by creativity and art, music. So it is with the utmost gratitude in my you know, most humble self and pride to share. And uh, anyone who's listened to this is connected to that. Thank you. Joe Pirandozzi. I've known Ryan for a long while. Uh, We met in high school. And so because we met in in high school, a lot of our memories were either really, really dumb, sort of high schoolish antics, or music related because we, we came together in jazz band and other various required music things. And then we started talking about music and we started playing music together. And eventually we were in a band together with a, a couple of other guys with Pat and Brennan, a band called the Televangelists. But my first memory, musical memory, is one of my favorites. One of our friends was Ryan's age, uh, Ben Burke. Ben had an older brother named Mike, who was my age. And the whole Burke family was wonderful, but Ben was this amazing theater actor and singer and, and dancer and just an all-around great guy. And I remember Ryan and Ben and I were in the band room, various instruments strewn about. And one of the other bandmates of ours was a a woman named Blair, Blair Brown. And I don't know how it started. It probably started with Ben, but we, we started playing the Blair song. And the lyrics were just Ben yelling, Blair. And Ryan immediately sat down at the piano. And just being so incredibly talented, pretty much early, uh, you know, probably at birth for him, you know, just started rocking out some great, perfectly appropriate 
tune. Nothing too terribly complicated. And I being sort of the musical sideman that I think I often was just because Ryan was, was so good at everything. Um, I think I ended up playing a, a pair of, um, I think of them as chimes, but I think they're, they're technically called bells. They're these big upright metal tubes. Uh, and you play it with a big hammer, a big mallet. And I just remember probably for too long, this song went on with Ben just screaming Blair and Ryan playing this great rock and roll piano riff, standing and just pounding on the keys and me in the background just cranking on these giant chimes. And I think, I think to be honest, I knew then I was like, these are the kinds of people I want to you know, hang out with. If I'm going to make music, if I'm going to get to do anything, fun in the music world there are people like this out there there are people like ryan and, and like ben out there and just knowing that was so great one of my favorite ryan brady musical memories uh came when ryan was going to northwestern for some reason they'd had a they'd had a contest i think the contest was what dorm could use the least amount of electricity it was an environmental thing and for some reason the the, the prize was uh, like a small party with, you know, like some bottles of soda and chips and things like that. And then a band was going to perform. And I don't know how this happened, but Ryan somehow convinced the school that he and Pat Frank and I were the band. And we were in, we were in a band together, but we were not necessarily the best choice for this. And I don't even think anybody got paid. I think we just got the opportunity to perform. So I remember driving out to Northwestern. I don't even think we had picked what we were going to play. I certainly wasn't musically talented enough to pick things up quickly, but Ryan and Pat were. And so we settled on a Cars song. I think we did You Just What I Needed. And we did Jump by Van Halen. And I knew how to play neither song, truly. At one point, I was playing a synthesizer, and I think Ryan, I mean, Ryan could play any of the instruments. We had an electric drum kit. That was Pat, stand-up electric drum kit. And then Ryan was on either bass or guitar. You know, possibly he was playing both at one point. Uh, and I think I ended up playing, at one point, an unplugged-in acoustic guitar, a completely acoustic acoustic guitar, so you couldn't hear it at all. Um, and then the other time I was, I was playing the synth, which was plugged in, but which I did not know how to play. I was not yet very good at keys, and I didn't know anything about what key the thing is. And I was playing synth on You're Just What I Needed, so I was responsible for the, you know, the... Which I could not do. And I think there's, there's video of this somewhere, but it ended up being kind of just the most ridiculous but oddly entertaining little quick three or four song you know, rock performance. And I think, you know, Ryan played the hell out of it. Pat, always the consummate professional, just laying down, you know, hopefully all you need for a rock show, just like very solid drumming while there's noise going on in the background. And then all, all I could do was, I think I sang, I sang Jump because I knew the words that went well. And I think I did some dancing, but otherwise I was just kind of there soaking in the fact that, you know, Ryan could, could not only sell us as an actual band worthy of, of, of giving away as a reward to some kids who had gone without electricity for a week and not think of that as another punishment, but who could actually turn that into an amazing uh, show that people actually had fun at from, from what I remember. 
And I think that was just the, you know, the power of Ryan. Ryan would, would make something awesome regardless of the quality of it. Uh, and of course, I got to do so much more with Ryan later musically, and we got to write terrible, terrible songs together. And then we got to write good songs together as well. For someone that young to be so good and so in tune with his lyrics and with his music and his writing was really something impressive. And I'm, I'm glad I got to be a part of it. I'm glad I got to perform with him. And I'm glad I got to know him too. Most of what we did was musically related, but we also got to occasionally hang out and just be, you know, silly young men together. I'm going to miss becoming silly older men with Ryan because I think that that would have been so very, very fun to do. Miss you, buddy. Love you. I'm Patrick. I played in bands with Ryan all through high school. Uh, when I met Ryan as a 15-year-old, I was blown away by his talent. He was already an incredible songwriter and mastered the piano and bass guitar. And I was a pretty good drummer, and we were a perfect match. We spent every free hour in his basement working on music and listening to records by The Beatles, Todd Rundgren, Elvis Costello, and I'd give anything to go back to that basement again for an hour. I joined the choir my senior year of high school, and there was a solo showcase, and I wanted to sing something, but I was nervous about it because I'd, I'd never done anything like it before. I didn't know what to sing, and I didn't know how to get sheet music for the accompanist. So I asked Ryan if he would play piano, and he loved the idea. I chose Accidents Will Happen by Elvis Costello. He played it perfectly, and I got a huge applause. And uh, I turned to stage right, and I got that signature Ryan Brady wink. And I remember it like it was yesterday. During his service, which a lot of us watched on YouTube, someone in the chat described him as casually cool. And I think that that's the perfect description of Ryan. I just think he lived life on a higher level and made everyone feel important and included. And I wouldn't be where I am without his support. So Ryan, thank you for that support, for the music, and for the memories. I love you and I miss you. I'm Lucy Walsh, and I knew Ryan for only a short time, but I learned so much from him in that time. I've never known anybody to be so eager to see their friends do well, so happy to connect people, and so curious. God, he had so many questions. He wanted to know everything about what he was involved in, everything about the world, everything about music. You know, he wouldn't listen to one song by an artist. He would listen to everything they'd ever written. And he just was so powerful in connecting people. He's a huge reason why Annabelle and I created our podcast, The Lucy and Annabelle Show. And he really pushed us and had such big plans for us. I will take that with me for the rest of my life and always honor him by being as powerful for those around me as I can and by thinking big for myself. Aside from that, he was insanely talented. God. And he had my piano in his home studio, which I was so grateful that he said he would take care of it. It had been in storage before that. So it was such a good feeling to know that my grand piano was being played every day by him and Max and their talented friends. It was just made the, it made my piano so special. And now I would never get rid of it. I will play it for the rest of my life 
in memory and honor of Ryan and his amazing talent. He was one in a million, and I'm so grateful that I met him. Well, thank you for everyone who contributed a memory of Ryan for this episode. It was really sweet to hear from everybody, and we really appreciate it. You know, one of the things I think we wanted to do in doing this episode was really just to celebrate his life and and celebrate all the different things he gave us. And so hearing what he gave you all as well has been just a real treat. So in the spirit of continuing the celebration of the things Ryan gave us, Chris and I are going to run down... Some of the music that was Ryan's favorite music beyond, obviously, Paul McCartney, that he maybe introduced to us or shared with us and stuff that has stuck with us beyond. I'll start here with my list. Now, this is sort of a cheat because now hear this as a concept is Ryan <laughs> introducing me to <laughs> albums. And I think, Chris, but you brought that be, up. Yeah, but there must be more to it than that. And anyway, what's that like? I mean, to go through the Ryan canon, as it were. Well, I'll tell you this. I now own a, a Wizard, a True Star hoodie. So that'll tell you something right there, I think. Damn right. Yeah. So yeah, Ryan, the first episode, Ryan decided to jump into the deep end with Todd Rundgren's A Wizard, a True Star. Now, a bit of background. My very first concert back in 1992 was Ringo and the All-Stars. And in that lineup was Todd Rundgren. So <laughs> little eight-year-old Paul was sitting there watching Todd Rundgren <laughs> in a theater in New Jersey as his very first concert attendance. And so I did have a bit of Todd background in that sense, but I hadn't really dabbled much beyond the stuff most people know. And my dad gave me Utopia's raw album. <laughs> and I was like, this is wacky. I don't know. Wow. And so, Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really have a good entry point to Todd. And so when Ryan said he was going to give me a Todd Rundgren, I was like, perfect, because I've been looking for an entry point. You know, sometimes with bands, I don't know if you have this experience, Chris, but like it gets to a point where if you're not familiar with a certain artist that has some acclaim by a certain point, then it becomes almost like a chore to have to get into them or to yes. go through it or to feel like there's this pressure to do it. I had this feeling when I recommend like the Sopranos or Breaking Bad to someone who hasn't seen them mm. where it's like, you should check out the Sopranos, but I understand that that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of pressure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or then some, you know, sometimes I feel like it is, it's a journey of self-discovery. Like it took me until I was 24 to really get into the who, for example. Uh-huh. But it wasn't because somebody told me I had to. It was because I, I felt like I had to arrive there. Anyway, all of that is a long-winded way of saying the thing now here this gave me, you know, beyond an excuse to talk to my buddy. What it gave me was an assignment. Mm-hmm. It said, you have to listen to this because you're going to be expected to talk about it. And so it forced me to listen to Todd Rundgren. It forced me to listen to Randy Newman. It forced me to listen to Ben Folds. It forced me to listen to Warren Zevon. And I hadn't done a dive into any of those musicians. I knew Randy Newman from fucking Toy Story. I knew Warren Zevon just from Werewolves of London, which I liked, but I didn't know anything else. I knew people liked him and kept telling me I should like him. But at a certain point, I was like, I'm, just, I'm not going to listen to him just to spite you. Warren Zevon, I'll point out him, for example, became one of my favorite artists. And now I'm obsessed all I do is send people Warren Zevon videos. I'm like, look at this cowboy. Look at this wonderful cowboy man. Can I tell you something? <laughs> yes. I don't know any Warren Zevon. Hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to listen to your episode on Excitable Boy. Check that out. And Ryan does a really out. good job. And he paints that porch. You know, I think he and I both romanticize that cowboy spirit, right? The guy who maybe drinks a little too much or... The guy who trips off to Italy for a few years just because he's trying to get his shit together or whatever. (laughs) The guy who gets in a fist fight with Jackson Brown over an awning in his house. Whatever. You probably shouldn't romanticize that kind of behavior. But, you know, there's a part of me that does. And so anyway, Ryan really keys into some of that stuff. And so the albums we went through on Now Hear This, you know, the ones that really stick out to me. A Wizard of True Star became a favorite from Todd Rundgren. It's so wacky. But it's wacky in like a boy, that's a fun circus that came to town kind of way as opposed to to some other kind of wacky. And then Randy Newman, I just fell in love with. And now I'm convinced Randy Newman's just the the biggest genius who ever existed. And of all albums, Trouble in Paradise, that strikes me as a strange pick. Yeah, well, on that one, you get My Life is Good. And I don't know if there's a more perfect song in the universe than My Life is Good. It's just... So fucked up and funny. Good Old Boys as the great Randy Newman album. But that doesn't... You guys weren't going for the great one. You guys were going for, like, this would be a cool one for me to show Paul, right? Yeah, the was, one that was yeah. our our favorites, right? And so, yeah, right, right. You know, Warren Zevon's Excitable Boy really does stand out. I would have never gone through Procol Harum if it wasn't for Ryan. I Again, with Ringo. I've, I, I've seen half of these fuckers with Ringo. But, <laughs> yeah, so it was just... It, he gave me so much, you know, and I actually have a playlist... That is just songs Ryan gave me, you know, on YouTube that sometimes I'll just put on around the house. And it makes me think of him, but it's also like, man, I'm so happy somebody showed me the Jesus of cool. You know, I'm so happy Mm -hmm. somebody showed me Brian Eno. I didn't know anything about Brian Eno. Anything. Yeah. I listened to Another Green World 
completely fresh. Like I'm not even super versed in Roxy music. Like that's how little I know about Brian Eno. But that song reached into my fucking brain and planted a seed in there, and I haven't been able to shake it since. I mean, it's it means so much to me those albums, and I never thought I would say that about Brian Eno. You know. So anyway, those are my uh, those are my memories of some of the music that Ryan introduced to me. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, again, you got a whole show devoted to Ryan introducing yeah. you to music. So. That's right. Yeah. And we have a few more. We have a few more episodes of albums that he's introduced to me that will come out, I should say. Uh, so there are four more albums that we talk about, and uh, you'll all be able to hear those at, at some point. I'll, I'll have more announcements on that soon, but yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, we talked a bit about A Wizard of True Star, and that's come up a couple times now on, on the show. And I have to tell you, I really didn't know jack shit about Todd Rundgren before yeah. I met Ryan Brady. Yeah, actually, I read that. All I knew about Todd Rundgren was that he was some guy who had some attitude. And like he badmouthed the Beatles or something. Yeah. I knew that about him. <laughs> and I knew that he did some soft rock or something in the 70s. Like yeah. That's really all I knew. And the funny thing about it is that at the time that Ryan and I met, I was really beginning to really explore 70s music or realize how much I loved it and try to deepen my knowledge of it. But I didn't know Todd Rundgren. So he comes along and he actually made me a, you know, one of those curated mixtapes. Like, this is the stuff you'll like. Check this out. He was right. His picks were amazing. We mentioned earlier something to fall back on. That's a track from Acapella. And it's called that because the whole album is made from samples of his voice. I'm going to play you a little bit of that song. It's just amazing. And it's such a... The gimmick of it being all from his voice, all sampled from his voice, is is irrelevant to the fact that this is just great pop music. Check this out. And so these classic albums, like Something Anything, I didn't even know them, right? So Ryan is showing me all this stuff. He also kind of brought me up to speed on Todd Rundgren. So a more recent thing was the album One Long Year. It has a track on it called Where Does the Time Go? Have you ever had someone sell you on a song just by force of personality? Because Ryan (laughs) came over to my house and played the song for me and took me through all the parts, showed me like all these complicated keyboard parts and how great a song it was. And after that, I loved it. And (laughs) so that was one of my favorite songs for a while. Let Let me play a little bit of that one.
strange 70s thing. I was just discovering Gilbert O'Sullivan on my own. And Ryan, in classic Ryan fashion, comes along and says, oh, yeah, Gilbert O'Sullivan. And he just hands me a Greatest Hits album. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I've, like, figured out two songs. He, like, totally clues me in. And so of all the things, like, again, I'm 14 years older than Ryan, but he's showing me all this early 70s stuff. Another example, Emmett Rhodes. This guy is an amazing artist. I think not many people know about him. Yeah, I'm not familiar He did a new album just a few years ago, but Ryan introduced me to Emmett Rhodes by saying, hey, this guy in 1970 made the album Paul McCartney was supposed to make in 1970. You've got to hear it. Well, that's quite an introduction. (laughs) Well, Ryan was kind of dead on. Emmett Rhodes is a multi-instrumentalist who worked by himself. He recorded all the tracks himself, played every instrument himself. And he signed a deal that was a bit, I mean, that's the lore anyway. He signed a record deal that required more records than he could produce doing it the way he was doing it. And it all just kind of fell apart by the mid seventies. Yeah. He came back very recently. I want to say maybe four or five years ago with a new album and it's wonderful. So I want to play, well, I guess I want to play some songs from Emmett Rhodes' first album from 1970, given that hyper introduction. Yeah. Here's a couple tracks there. Down with my face on the song that Ryan and I bonded about from the most recent Emmett Rhodes record where he came back after all these years and made this kind of haggard, kind of grizzled album. <laughs> and this is a song <laughs> called Isn't It So? It's just simple and heartbreaking. And we both loved it. Ryan was the one who alerted me, like, when you listen to this album, watch out for this song. And he was right. So a little bit of Isn't It So? Whenever I'm worried and I'm feeling low Problems are many and I'm all alone When all the world's troubles are too much to bear Well that's when I break down and I wish you were here Isn't it so? Isn't it? Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you? Isn't it so? Still 
trying to please you Even though you're not here Still talking to you Even though you can't hear And the more I deny it The more that it's true There's hardly a moment I'm not thinking of you Isn't it so? Isn't it? Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you? And then I guess I'll just mention here at the end, Ben Folds, who, of course, was a huge influence on Ryan's own music. Yes. And Ryan even, I think, ran a Ben Folds website at one point. He told me about that. (laughs) (laughs) He was in charge of the lyrics, and he was having to transcribe them from the records in some cases because the lyrics weren't officially published. Wow. And whenever I asked him about a Ben Folds lyric, because it would come up sometimes, he'd make me mixtapes of and folds and I'd say hey what's he saying right here and he'd say well he's saying this and I'd say that doesn't sound right he said yeah it's it's weird <laughs> trust me it really is like that though anyway I want to play something by Ben Folds real quick a little excerpt from Ben Folds it's a song called Give Judy My Notice and it appears officially on the album Songs for Silverman but the version Ryan gave me on the Ryan Brady mixtape of Ben Folds mm-hmm. was Give Judy My Notice from an EP called Speed Graphic, and apparently that came out a little while before Songs for Silverman. And so the Songs for Silverman version, I'll introduce it with that version. And it's an all-band country version, whereas the original Give Judy My Notice is this heartbreaking just piano and voice thing. Then that's the one that Ryan gave me that I really, I fell in love with Ben Folds as an artist when I heard this record. So enjoy. That's awesome. 
Yeah, Ben Folds was really important to Ryan. I think he had maybe lapsed on Ben Folds a bit recently. But when we did our Ben Folds episode of Now Hear This, which is Rock in the Suburbs, which is a great introduction to Folds. Now, I had, I think, uh, at the time, prejudiced myself against Ben Folds at the time. I was a little more following what the garage rockers were doing around that time, and I sort of looked at Ben Folds, not in a snobby way necessarily, but I almost like lumped him in with the ska kind of sound because it has that bouncy, almost like real big fishy thing. that's interesting. I just think of him as modern Billy Joel. 90s Billy Joel. Sure, sure. And, you know, it was listening to that album. And I, I hope I never, I hope I didn't offend him. I don't think I did. I, I try to be honest about it, you know. But when I listened to that album, I really had to break through a lot of my own, you know, personal stigma, right? And it was such a great exercise because if I didn't do that, I would have never have heard a song called The Ascent of Stan, or I would have never heard some of these other ones, the luckiest, some of these are just really beautiful, beautiful songs. Not the same, not the same as like badass. It's really good. So anyway, what a gift, you know, to be walk through it. You know, you talk about the Brady mixtape, you know, it's, it's important, man. You, sometimes you need those music Sherpas and you need the guy who knows you. Yeah. Like Ryan knew, Oh, I get Mercer's taste. These are the Ben Fold songs that'll turn him on to Ben Folds. Right. These are the Gilbert O'Sullivan songs he needs to hear. <laughs> right. Yeah. I could barely get through the sentence, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not being given Utopia's raw here. I'm yeah. Being... <laughs> yeah. Well, those are great selections, Chris. Thank you for sharing those. And, and thank you all for sharing this with us today. And, you know, I think, Chris, when you and I talked shortly after Ryan's passing, you know, I think you said, we need to do this. I'm paraphrasing, but there was like, yeah, you know, this feels right. Like we need to, we want to talk about how much Ryan meant to us because he did, you know, I mean, what a person with a tremendous impact on so many lives in in such a positive way. So thank you for doing this with us. If you want to take a dive into Ryan's music, I encourage you to do so. Again, the Abject Joy stuff is anywhere you find music. The Uncle Salsa and the Pelican Boy record is, is great. Check that out. If you want to check out Ryan's contributions on Chris's record, we'll make sure there's some links there for y'all to check out that material and the newest album, Antihistamine, which is out now. And yeah, just thanks everybody for being a part of this weird podcasting family because <laughs> it does feel that way. You know, I mean, yeah. I know we're all strangers and stuff, but like we're not though when we're bonded by this kind of music. And you know, all it took was me here in your show to want to find Ryan, you know, and become his friend. And I'm happy I did. Yeah. I mean, when I think about how much some of my favorite YouTubers and podcasters mean to me and yeah, I mean, like, what would it feel like if some of these people were suddenly gone after you've spent so many years waiting for their take on something, you know? And like we mentioned a bit throughout the episode, there is more. We have some plans. There's some things we're kicking around. We have some ideas Keep an eye on your podcast feeds. We're slowly sort of chipping away at it. You know, as as the new year has dawned, I think we're starting to kind of get it together a bit. But keep checking back on the Take It Away feed. Keep checking back on the Now Hear This feed. You may see some surprises in the next couple weeks and months. And as I mentioned earlier, too, if you haven't, check out the Take It Away group on Facebook. Now Hear This has a group as well, Mm -hmm. if you want to check that out, too. But the Take It Away group is really robust and active and everybody i 
I love going in there and just talking about Paul McCartney. <laughs> you know, hey, yeah. here's my once upon a long ago 12 inch check that out you know like and somebody is going to read that and understand it and care and stuff and what a wonderful wonderful thing it seems to be a rare oasis of civility Mm -hmm. those pages those take it away pages you know i mean facebook can be so brutal and I, i limit my exposure to it actually even with nice things on Facebook, you got to limit your exposure to that. Yes, <laughs> it absolutely. tries to take over your fucking central nervous system. It's crazy. <laughs> I, so I, I treat it as a much loved 90s forum, 90s bulletin board. Right, right. <laughs> you know, chat room. Where, yeah, chat room where I can go there and people will be civil and everything will be cool and we will talk about this topic. And yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, Ryan gets, you know, the lion's share of credit for that existing. That's just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. He he did that. Yeah. Yes. And before we wrap up here, I just want to send a special thank you to Max Phillips for helping to coordinate all of the different memory audio that we got from Ryan's friends and family. That was really awesome. Max, you've been such a big help throughout this whole process, and we really appreciate everything you've done. We'd also like to send a special thank you to James Kaminsky, my brother, for the wonderful episode artwork for this tribute episode. If you haven't seen that artwork, head to our Facebook pages, our Instagrams. You can check out the wonderful, beautiful tribute artwork that James made for Ryan there. With that, we're going to leave you with this. I mentioned earlier the song, It's Good to Have You Back, that Ryan did under the moniker Abject Joy. And after he died, I commissioned a band, wonderful band out of... uh, Michigan, Detroit, Michigan, called After the Money is Gone or At MIG. And they have a great album. It's called Wishes. It came out, oh God, last year, the year before. It's relatively recent. And they're friends of some of the other shows that I do. And they covered It's Good to Have You Back. And they just did a really great job. I mean, a full disclosure, it made me cry when I heard it for the first time. It's quite touching. It's really sensitive. And yeah. really, we're, we're going to go out on the entire song. Yeah. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Keep an eye on those feeds. And um, like Ryan and I signed off every episode of Now Hear This, we signed it off with Enjoy Every Sandwich. And that's because in Warren Zevon's final interview, David Letterman asked him what it's like to know you're dying and Warren Zevon said, well, it makes you enjoy every sandwich. That reminds me of real lunch. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and so I think it's a beautiful sentiment. It's a sentiment Ryan lived by. And uh, so everybody enjoy every sandwich. And uh, we'll see you back here soon. Take care. Take care. Yeah.
still hear him. Well, hey, Brian. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. It's okay. All right, well, bye then. <laughs>